Hey everyone, this is T-Roll, the host of the Campus Outreach Podcast. We're taking a break from our normal podcasts over the summer, and instead we'll be posting audio versions of various talks that were given at our beach project from earlier this summer. If you are interested in viewing the video form of the following message, please go to cobirmingham.org forward slash campus talks to find all of our talks from this year's beach project. Thanks so much and enjoy today's talk.
You see what he's doing though? God said don't eat from one tree. And Satan's trying to say, it feels to me like God said you can't eat from any tree. He's trying to paint a picture of God that he's more restrictive than he really is. And Eve at first does well. She pushes back. She fights. This is the way we should fight sin. By quoting scripture, essentially. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now God didn't say that last part. Maybe she's confused. Maybe she's already starting to paint God in her heart as a little more restrictive than he really is. Look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So here's the second doubt, the second lie. He says, doubt God's threats, doubt God's consequences. God said, you die, you're not going to die. God's a bunch of talk. God's bark is worth his bite. You can do whatever you want and get away with it. And just pause, because some of you guys right now are thinking, why in the heck are we reading a story about a talking snake? I don't know no talking snakes. Okay? Because these lies still operate in our brain today. One guy said, Sinclair Ferguson, ever since people sinned, these lies about God have entered into the human bloodstream. Doubt God's word, doubt God's authority. I mean, don't raise your hands, but how many of us have thought at some point said, the Bible doesn't really say you can't have sex out of sight of marriage, does it? I don't think, it's not that clear. It says you can't commit adultery, but before you're it's like, the Bible is brutally clear. We just don't want it to be clear. And we try to make it great. Doubt God's threats. How could a loving God ever send anybody to hell? I mean, that's one of the most famous mantras today. It goes all the way back to this. Don't take God's threats seriously. But thus far, Adam and Eve haven't sinned. It's kind of like they're, they're standing strong. The third lie is what get them, gets them. And it's this. Doubt God's love. But he's very crafty. He's very shrewd in the way. He, he doesn't just say, God's bad. God's not loving. It's very subtle. Look at what he says. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for, excuse me, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what he said? He does there. You know what? Yeah, there is that one tree that God's not letting you eat from. But you know why he's not letting you eat from that? That's the special tree. That's the best tree. If you could ever get some of that fruit, oh my goodness. He almost kind of implies, I got some of it. It's the best. Me and God, we got special knowledge. Y'all ain't got what we got. See, God's really, he's not trying to help you. He's trying to hinder you. God says he's trying to bless you. He ain't trying to bless you. He's trying to burden you. He's trying to keep you down with his rules. And you've got to break free. You've got to live up to all your potential. Get rid of God. And that does go deep. And he's basically saying you can't trust God. There's something outside of God's word, outside of God's ways, outside of God's provision and gifts that's better. And if you can just get it, then you'd really be happy. Now, let's look at what happens then. Okay, First point, the roots. Or you might just say temptation. How does sin start? Satan brings lies to our mind. And then we're tempted. Why are we tempted? Look in verse 6. Three reasons that they were tempted. <clears throat> and it's talking about the woman, but Adam was complicit as well. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took it as fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So he heard the whole conversation and just said nothing. At least he tried to push back at first. Not good to be passive then. Notice what it says. The first thing, it's good for food. It's going to taste good. That looks like the juiciest piece of fruit I've ever had in my life. It's going to be pleasurable. Listen, 
These are sins about our appetites. Sex, drugs, drink, too much food, sleep, all that kind of stuff. Those things aren't bad necessarily in themselves. But when you use them, when you abuse them, sex outside of marriage is wrong. Too much food, too much drink, right? Too much sleep. But when we love our appetites and we just want to indulge, that's when we're doing this. We're living for pleasure rather than living for God. <clears throat> the second thing it talks about, a delight to the eyes, possessions. We want stuff. We want money. We want stuff that looks good. All that glitters is gold. I need more shoes, a nicer car, more money. You may, you may pride yourself on, I'm very moral. I've never had a sip of alcohol. I've never kissed somebody. But you're greedy. We've all got something. We may not have the same stuff, but we all got something, right? And the third one was this. It was about pride. It was about prestige. Right? The fruit can make you wise. Listen, this is the sin that a lot of really good, godly people struggle with. Even people on staff with Campus Outreach. I'm fine to be poor. I'm fine to maybe be a monk. But you know what? I want to be famous. I want somebody to write my biography one day. I want to have such a big, fruitful ministry that people are talking about me all the time. You care too much. Maybe it doesn't have to be ministers. It could be a lawyer, doctor, whatever. But there's this pride. You want to be well-known. You want to be exalted. You want to be praised, not God. Okay? Now... 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Don't flip there. Just write it down. You can look at it later. It's near the very, very end of the Bible. And one of the things John is saying is all that is in the world, and he doesn't mean the world just like the planet. He means the sinful world system. All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. It's the same three things. The same three things they were tempted with are the same three things we're tempted with. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Don't look that one up either. Write it down and look at it later. It has a phrase in there where it says, it's talking to Christians, and it says, we all need to throw off the sin, the sin, that so easily entangles us. And a lot of Bible teachers think that what that probably means is, for every single one of us, we have at least one sin that seems to get us down, and it's harder to kill and get out of our lives more than others. Seems true about my life. How about yours? And maybe I got two or three, actually. You may not be tempted that much in one area, but we're tempting the others. So we're all tempted. That's the root of sin. That's where it starts. Satan lies, we're tempted. But then, they bite the fruit. What's the results? Point two. What's the results? When you sin, what does it lead to? Okay? Like I said, we're trying to do like a diagnostic of sin. An autopsy on sin. So we can fully understand it. So hopefully we can fully repent and fight it. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves one cross. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, What are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you had to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So what is the results? Sin wrecks our world in every way. Emotionally, spiritually, socially, every way, physically. But the first thing we see here is shame. Remember I said at the end of the last one, chapter 2, verse 25, they were naked and unashamed. That was a little bit of foreshadowing. 
Because now, he doesn't use the word, but that's what's happening. They're filled with shame. Here's a layman's definition of shame. Shame is not just I did something wrong, but I am wrong. Something's broken inside me. Not just I did something bad, but like something bad is I am bad. Remember, they were naked and ashamed. They liked each other. They liked themselves. They had nothing to hide, nothing to fear. But now with their best friend, their only friend actually, they feel like judged, fearful. I got to hide. So they start ripping like lid, you know, big leaves out of fig bushes or something and trying to like make aprons to cover themselves up because now we're different. And what if she judges me? What if I judge her? What if he doesn't like me? All this fear. Here's a side note, this important one. After they sin, what relationship should they have been the most concerned and worried about? Relationship with God, right? But they weren't. They sound just like us, right? We know the relationship with God is most important, but what do we spend most of our time and energy on? Our image management, what everybody else thinks about us. And that started way before Instagram and Facebook. Started in the garden. I want to put my best foot forward, my fake foot forward. It rips us off socially, ruins relationships. But then secondly, they do experience fear. Not the good kind of godly, worshipful, reverential, worshipful fear, okay? But the scared, terrified, run and hide. Which is really just stupid, isn't it? We've got a cat. I'm kind of ashamed to admit that. My family has become a cat family. It used to be a dog family. We have a cat now. My wife has fallen in love with this cat. I'm really ashamed to admit this. But she like reads all this stuff on the internet about cats. And she's always like giving me cat facts that I don't really care about. And uh, one of them she says is, you know, a cat will try to hide. And the cat thinks if, you can't, if it can't see you, you can't see it. Now, how do they know what the cat thinks? They don't know what the cat thinks. But anyway, that's what they say. They, okay? So and sometimes our cat will like try to hide from you. And it will go get behind. I guess this is what it's doing because it's what they say. It'll go get behind the curtain. But like its tail is sticking out. It can't see me, but I can see it. That's how we relate to God. And listen, we still do this same thing, don't we? Again, we're like, dude, I'm not living in a garden. God's not walking in the garden with me. What are you talking about? But we hide from God, don't we? We just watch 14 hours of Netflix every day. Maybe if I don't think about God, He won't think about me. Maybe I'll just listen to a bunch of music all the time and sing and play, distract myself. Be silly, be goofy. I won't ever have to deal with the serious stuff in life. Doesn't work that way. You may not see God, God sees you. Doesn't work. It's not effective. We're still trying to hide from others. We're still trying to hide from God. And then, lastly, we feel guilt. Did you hear when God came to, in a sense, interrogate him? Hey, what happened? Do you notice all the blame shifting? Well, God, you scared me. You were so loud when you came in the garden. And then God, it wasn't really my fault. It was really the woman's fault. It was your idea, God. I didn't ask for her. And then it was this darn snake, you know, God. Oh, but then finally, the very, did you notice this is the very end of the sentence, high eight. Doesn't it sound like us confessing our sin? I mean, I bet a lot of you are in an accountability group, just like I am. Some kind of discipleship group where you try to talk about your sin and pray about it so you can grow. But let's just be honest with each other for a second. Okay? We're not going to say anything out loud, but just in our hearts and minds. Let's just be honest for a second. How many times have you showed up to accountability and you've done something bad in the last week and you need to confess it, but you were an expert and so am I at spinning it and making it sound a lot better than it really was, right? <laughs> right? You looked at porn five times, you're like, I looked at porn for like about two seconds and I feel real bad, guys. Please pray for me. We're experts. What are we doing there? 
we just feel deeply insecure. And we can't handle it. So we're trying to fix it on our own. See, that's so much of our problem, guys. I was just talking to Margaret, Margaret Bailey, Troy, y'all know her. You know, she's a new aunt. And she was talking about her new little nephew. Uh, they were trying to clip his little tiny newborn fingernails, and they accidentally clipped the end of his little, little, little tiny skin off, right? It'll grow back. He'll be fine. He's, a, he's not a big boy, but he will be one day, right? That's the way that a lot of us think about sin. Merely a flesh wound. Little nick. Just give it a day or he'll back. Sin is more like taking a grenade, pulling the pin, and holding it to your chest and letting it go off. You're not going to survive. And even if you do, your body's going to be so ravaged and destroyed by all the shrapnel going all over the place. For you ladies, a grenade is a bomb, okay? That even if you have 99, and I don't mean that, just, you know, ladies tend to watch chick flicks and not say Private Ryan. That's why I said that, okay? Even if you had 99 plastic surgeries at John Hopkins to put you back together, you ain't never going to be right again, right? That's the kind of habit that sin wreaks on our body. And we feel, not just our body, but our soul. We feel guilty, we feel shame, we feel fear. And how do we respond? The response, the third point. <laughs> what, let's just be honest for a second, guys. This, this might be the most important point for some of us in here. What ought to be our response? When we've sinned and we start to feel all this bad stuff, what ought to be our response? To run back to God. Right? You're a good God. You're a merciful God. You're a good daddy. Please forgive me. Please have mercy. Is that what we tend to do? Is that what Adam and Eve do? No, we say, I got this. I'll fix this piece of cake. Fig leaves. I got an apron. How good do I look now? Right? Just lie. Just quit going to Bible study. Quit going to church. We hide. Right? We, they hid from other people. We saw them do that. And the second thing, they hide from God. And then three, we hide from ourselves. How do you hide from yourself? The lies you tell. Listen, if you tell other people lies long enough, you know what starts to happen? You start to believe them. That's how you hide from yourself. That's how we all do it. Sin messes us up socially with other people, spiritually with God, and psychologically with ourselves. No wonder almost everybody's going to counseling today. We need it. We're screwed up because of the sinful choices we keep making. Now, doesn't stop there. There's more results. God comes to curse. Because listen, as much as the Bible paints God as a good God, as a loving God, as a merciful God, as a generous God, He's also a just God. He's also a holy God. He's also a righteous God. You can't get away from that. That's one of the things we like to hide. I just want to skip those verses. Those are too heavy. I don't like those. We don't believe in that kind of God in 21st century America. Who cares what you believe in? Who cares what's real? Who cares what's right? Who cares what's true? So look at what God does when He comes. Start in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and in dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. I will put enmity, that's like war and strife, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So first he curses Satan. And why does he curse, and how does he curse Satan? Think about what Satan wanted. Satan wanted all the human beings to follow him, to worship him. And God says, no, no, I'm cursing you with fighting. 
Some of the human beings are going to resist you. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to follow you, Satan. You're not going to get what you want. They're going to trust me. So there's going to be fighting, Satan, between you and the humans. Then he goes and curses the woman. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Women, when they're in sin, listen, everybody, when you're in sin and you're not worshiping God, we're made to worship, you find something else to worship. And that doesn't mean you bow down to it like a stone Buddha idol or something. But it means you put all your time and energy and effort into that thing, and you expect that, you serve that thing, and you expect that thing to satisfy you. Make sense? Because that's what we're supposed to do with God. Women, most of the time, in sin, they tend to worship relationships. Spend all their time and energy on relationships, hoping that if I can just get this certain relationship right, it'll satisfy the deepest needs of my soul, and it never will. And God says that. Listen, even the most important relationships, like being a mama, like being a wife, will never satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. There'll, there'll be frustration, even in the best relationships. Okay. Keeps going. To the men, verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat, the, eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall be bred. Till you return to ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now listen. Men are relational beings. Men are love, love relationships. Men experience frustration in relationships. But in general, whereas women, in general, tend to idolize and worship and seek to be satisfied in relationships, where does your average man tend to seek his deepest satisfaction if he's living a simple life? In his work. If I can just get a good enough job, make enough money, and be significant, and make a difference in the world, and rah. And God says, ain't gonna work. I mean, in some sense, it'll work. It'll work good enough to feed you, but it'll never satisfy you. There'll be futility. You'll just be sweaty. It'll be hard. And yeah, you might get some fruit if you're a farmer, but you'll get lots of thorns. And listen, that's everything. Again, go talk to a campus staff person. Ask them how ministry is. In one sense, it's great. You get to see people's lives change. You also get a lot of thorns. You get people that hate you and mock you and stuff like that. It ain't all fun and roses. Storms, too. But here's part of what I want you to see. This is a beautiful thing. Even in the curse, guys, even in the curse, there's what I call the boomerang blessing. All right? Anybody from Australia? Anybody ever been to Australia, right? And they got boomerangs? I've never actually tried to use a boomerang. I don't think it. But the idea of a boomerang is you throw it and it comes back. And what I mean by that is God said, listen, this is how gracious God is. Even in his curses, there's a little bit of grace. Even in his curses, there's a blessing. You say, how so? Because when he cursed Satan, part of what he said is, I'm not letting you have all of humanity. Even though they followed you, I'm taking some of them back. To women, he said, you know what? You're going to not be satisfied in those relationships, and if you know what's going to eventually make you do, boomerang back to me to find satisfaction in me. Men, you're going to try to get satisfied in work. Ain't going to work. You know what you want to do? You're going to come back and just serve in me. Not everybody, but some of us. But here's the last fault when we're done with this. Look at uh, verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now I love these two verses. Okay, because they seem so simple. I'm going to nickname you Mama. God gave us some new clothes. Then, but listen, there's something much deeper going on. Number one, how many kids do they have right now? At zero, right? I mean, we pretty much looked at all three chapters of Genesis. They didn't have any kids. They were supposed to die. Remember that? Hey, you eat that tree, you're going to die. But God said, you're not going to die today. You're going to stay alive. You're going to work. You're going to fight Satan. You're going to have babies. And Adam heard the promise. And so when he named Eve, Eve, which means mama, you know what he was doing? That was an act of faith. He was saying, I heard God's promise and I trust him. I don't understand it. I don't exactly get it. Exactly how's it going to work? When's it going to work? I don't know, but I trust him. So I'm going to go ahead and nickname you mama, even though we ain't got no babies yet. It's faith. And after that, after he had faith, did you see what God did? They were supposed to die that day, but they didn't. But some little innocent animal that didn't sin did die that day. Because God killed it. And he stripped the skin off of it. To make them good clothes, fur clothes, that would be effective a lot better than their fig leaf righteousness. And again, for the second time in the first three chapters of the Bible, what's happening? God is foreshadowing for us that the Lord Jesus Christ... The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, it was always in the heart of God to do this, would come and be an innocent, pure sacrifice who would get slaughtered for my sin, for all our sin, of everybody who ever trusted him, and that we would get clothed in his righteousness and be restored to a right relationship with the Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're grateful.